Welcome to Master Your Relationship Mind Drama. Teaching you how to manage your mind so that you can create relationships you love. And now, here's your host, certified relationship coach and expert in all things love, friendship and mind drama, Rebecca Orr. Hey everyone, how are you all doing? I am so excited for this episode because it is a listener Q&A, which means that those of you that are on my email list were sent an email inviting you to submit a question for me to answer live on this episode. Well, it's live for me. It's not live for you. (laughs) I'm listening to it back. And if you're not on my email list, this is a sign for you to go and get yourself on it. I send three emails each week, so I don't bombard you too much. (laughs) One is about the podcast and what's, what's coming up there. And two are emails with relationship tips and advice all about coaching your own brains. So it is the place to be. And I will put a link to where you can sign up for that in the information section of this episode. And I had quite a lot of entries to this Q&A episode. So thank you all for that. Thank you to everyone that submitted an entry. And I've had to just pick out five that I felt really covered a wide range of topics and situations. There were quite a few requests about exes and jealousy, but I have recently done an episode called Mind Drama About Their Ex, which is number 58, I think. So I'm not covering that in today's episode, but definitely go and check out that podcast episode if that is something you wrote in about, because that will really be useful for you too. And I will, of course, circle back to that and do future episodes about that too, but that episode is a really good place for you to start. Okay, let's dive into the questions. I will summarize some of them for the sake of time. And of course, I will not be divulging any names or personal details. Okay, here we go. Question one. How do I get past my partner's flirty personality with others and have confidence and trust that he's not going to cheat? He said he was completely unaware until I addressed it and says he's just being nice. But as an insecure person, it really bothers me and makes me feel like he's interested in them. I've addressed this with him and he's made improvements, but I worry about when I'm not around. He's someone that likes to feel important and I try to make him feel important, but I'm not sure if it's truly meeting his need. Okay, so the first thing I want to draw the listener's attention to is the word flirty. So when our brains are talking to us, they'll say things like, he's being flirty, and we'll take that as a fact. Like our brain is just noticing the reality and reporting that back to us. But flirty is not actually a factual circumstance. It's your brain's interpretation of what's happening. In his mind, he may not see it as being flirty at all. Like he said, in his mind, he's just being nice. So just for your own sake, it's really good just to get really clear on what is the actual behavior I have a problem with? What are the actual facts of his behavior? And it sounds like your brain has decided that his behavior, whatever the facts of it are, is a sign that he's going to cheat on you or betray you in some way. And it makes sense your brain would jump to that because brains are always trying to protect us from future negative emotion. But we want to really challenge your brain on the connection it's making there. Is that really the only thing that this behavior could mean? Is it possible he could have a flirty personality and still be a loving and faithful partner to you? What evidence is there that suggests that that could be true? And I've coached so many women on their fear of being cheated on. And for a lot of them, their partner doesn't actually even interact with many other women, yet their brain still finds a reason to feel anxious and afraid. And I think this could be true here as well. Even if he didn't have this flirty personality, do you think your brain would suddenly be totally chill and have no worries or fears about him leaving you? It likely still would. 
because it's a human brain and it's trying to create a feeling of safety. Which leads me to the next crucial part of coaching your brain on this. We can't change him and we can't control whether he cheats on you. But what you can do is let go of trying to predict or control whether that happens and focus on believing that you will be okay even if it does. Consider for a moment, if he did one day cheat, if flirting did one day lead to something more, what would be the worst thing about that? What emotions are you most afraid to experience? And what thoughts would you be thinking? What would you make it mean about you or your future happiness? You said, how can I trust that he's not going to cheat? And my answer is, we can challenge your brain's assumption that being flirty equals cheating. And I definitely think you should challenge that assumption. But we can definitely not convince your brain that there's a 0% chance of him ever cheating. Because there's always a 1% chance that anybody could cheat. So a better question to ask yourself is, how can I trust myself to handle being cheated on? What am I most afraid it would mean if I was cheated on? And how can I challenge those beliefs and trust myself to be okay and have my own back? Now, I also want to add, depending on what the facts are of his behavior, you may decide that some of his behavior is a deal breaker for you. But you've been with him for 13 years and I'm assuming he's probably been this way since the beginning, just because you said it's part of his personality. So we can safely say that this isn't going to drastically change anytime soon. Sure, he may modify his behavior in ways, but this seems to be who he is. This is him. And that's actually a great thing. We want him to be exactly who he is. We don't want to change him. We want to accept him for that. And for certain people in this situation, it could be that certain behaviors are crossing a boundary or wouldn't be a match for what that person is looking for. And I don't get the feeling that this applies to you, listener, that wrote in with this, because it sounds like this behavior isn't actually crossing a boundary for you and it wouldn't be a deal breaker. I could be wrong. And maybe you can listen to the boundaries um, and want matches episode to see if, if that does connect with you. But I don't get the impression from what you've written in that you're thinking this is a deal breaker or a boundary issue. So since I'm taking it in that way, my advice to you is to focus on one, challenging your beliefs around what his behavior means because you're assuming it means he's interested in this other person. Is that really the case? How might that not be true? You're assuming that when he speaks in this way to other people that he's interested in them. We want to challenge those thoughts. Is that really the case? How might that not be true? What else might be going on in his brain when he behaves in that way? What might his thoughts and feelings be? And could he behave that way and still love you and want to be faithful to you? So that's the first step. And then secondly, we want to look at the thoughts and feelings that come up if he did cheat on you. What are you most afraid of if that happened? What are you most afraid it would mean? Okay, next question. So this listener said she's been single for two years and has now met a guy who she is currently just friends with, but who she's grown to like in a romantic way. And she said, I seem to have developed expectations from him because I like him. Obviously, he's not treating me like a girlfriend and certain behavior of his, such as responding to texts after two days, is making me anxious. Do you have any suggestions? So my first question is, have you been upfront and honest about your feelings for him and what you'd like out of the relationship? Because as you said, he's currently treating you as a friend because of the dynamic of the current relationship that you have. So if you want to change that dynamic and you'd like more from him, 
finding out if he's on the same page and would be available for that kind of relationship is really important because then if he's not, you can choose to move forward with that information. But what's most important here is the anxiety. So you said his behavior is causing you to feel anxious. And the best news I have for you is that anxiety is never created by somebody else's behavior. Other people don't make us feel anxious. So whenever you're feeling anxious, it's because there's something going on in your brain. It means that there's something that your brain is afraid of. When he's not text you back for two days and you feel anxious, it's because of what you're making that mean and sentences that happen inside your mind. Your brain will have attached meaning to this that we need to look into. So get curious. What comes up in your brain when he hasn't responded to you? Maybe your brain will answer, well, it means he doesn't like me in the way that I like him. So let's say that that's the thought. You then need to go a little bit deeper and ask your brain, okay, so what if that is true? If that was true, what would that mean? And the answer is likely the real source of your suffering here, the real source of your anxiety. For example, it might be if he doesn't feel the same way about me, it means I'm not good enough or attractive enough, or that I'll never find someone that does like me, or that I'm never going to find someone that I can connect with. And finding out what these underlying thoughts are that you're attaching to his behavior and challenging them That is what's most important here. So I want you to get curious about what the deeper fear is here and then spend some time really questioning it. Ask yourself, why would I make it mean this? How isn't that true? What else could be true? What else could I make it mean about me if this person isn't interested in the type of relationship that I want? And finally, whenever we have expectations for someone else that we're really, really desperately wanting them to follow and they're just not following, it's because of what we imagine we'd get to feel if they just did those things. So in these moments, your brain believes, if he just texts me back faster, then I'd get to have a better experience right now. I'd get to feel a more positive emotion, maybe happiness, maybe confidence, maybe loved. And so you're wanting him to text you back so that you get to feel those emotions. But what if you could actually feel those positive emotions regardless of when he texts you back? Ask yourself, what is it exactly that I imagine I'd get to feel if he texts back faster? And what would I be believing that would create those emotions? And how can I believe those things now without him following my manual here? Again, if your brain says, well, I'd get to believe that he likes me, go one deeper. Ask yourself, then what? If you believed he liked you, then what would you get to believe about yourself? Because whether he likes you or not, you get to feel confident, secure, loved and happy. Him liking you isn't a prerequisite for those emotions. And working on feeling those emotions now is going to be a game changer for your entire dating experience. Okay, number three is from a mother talking about her young daughter. She doesn't say the age. And she says, I find myself completely overthinking and catastrophizing aspects of her personality and worrying how she comes across to others, specifically other kids and parents in social settings. My boyfriend doesn't think there's anything to worry about, but I find myself overthinking the way she acts and worrying if other people think it's normal. For example, if she acts shy in certain settings and other kids are playing or being more outgoing, I feel like it's a reflection on me as a mother and it's my fault that she's like that. And sometimes I feel myself getting angry and wanting her to behave a certain way instead. 
Can you explain why I might feel this way? I don't want to feel this way as I love my daughter so much and she's lovely and amazing. So why am I so critical of her? Okay, great question. And I want to start by encouraging this listener to have so much compassion for herself and her brain hair. When we shame and judge ourselves for having certain thought patterns, we actually block ourselves off from understanding them because we're not able to fully get curious about them. So try and drop the judgment and drop into some more curiosity. And what I'd say is clear from what you wrote in is the reason your brain is so obsessed with her behavior is because of what you'd make it mean about you. You said, I feel like it's a reflection on me as a mother and it's my fault she's like that. So when you're prepared to beat yourself up and shame yourself for your daughter's behavior, no wonder your brain is on red alert for what she's doing or not doing. If what she does at a play date that night could either result in you getting to feel like an amazing mother or you having to feel like a terrible mother, of course your brain is going to be very invested in that and fixated on it. So the good news here is it's actually not about your daughter or her behavior at all. It's about your thoughts about yourself as a mother. Your brain is fixating on judging and criticizing her because it knows that if she behaves in a way you or someone else has a negative thought about, then you are going to judge and criticize yourself. Now, of course, that's not me saying that you don't care about her or that you don't want the best for her. Of course you do. And maybe in some situations, you may decide that she does maybe need some additional support or therapy or some kind of professional support in another way. But you'll find it really difficult to make those parental decisions from a calm, rational place when your worth and value as a parent and the fear of your own self-judgment is all caught up in that and clouding it. Something else you mentioned was the word normal. And your brain seems to think that there is a normal way that children should act, which is another important thought for you to challenge her. Is there one normal way that children should behave when playing with other children? Does someone not behaving in that way mean that they're ultimately going to end up in a terrible place in life with no hope or prospects? Who even decides what normal is? Notice how your brain is being very black and white here, that she's either normal or not normal, that she'll either be okay or it's going to be a catastrophe. Right now, you're wanting her to act in a certain way so that you can believe that you're a good mother which of course is going to drive your brain crazy because you can't control how she acts. If you've listened to me talk about manuals here, that is definitely what this is. Your brain has a manual for your daughter and it wants her to follow it so that you can believe you're a good mom. So your homework here, listener, is to really work on redefining your definition of being a good parent and make it something that has nothing to do with how your child turns out. And I know that sounds crazy, but stay with me for a minute. Because you don't actually control the little brain in that person. You don't control the choices she makes, how she acts, or the way her life turns out. Of course, your influence matters. Your parenting does matter, and it helps shape her and mold her. But it doesn't guarantee any particular outcome in her life. You could give her the most amazing upbringing, which of course is totally subjective, and she could still end up behaving in ways that you don't love. And let's face it, she probably will (laughs) because she's young and she's going to do things that you don't like and she's going to get it wrong sometimes. And a coach I love always says, we all end up in therapy regardless of what our parents did or didn't do. And it's so true. I am yet to meet a person who wouldn't benefit from therapy. And it's not because their parents broke them. It's because they're a human with a human brain, which your daughter is going to be too and already is. (laughs) So ask yourself, 
what can I control about how I show up as a mother? If I can't control her, which you can't, what is in my area of control? And really define that for yourself. Then I want you to focus on the way you think about yourself and your parenting. It sounds like you have a really mean voice in your head ready to berate you every chance it gets. So watch out for that voice and challenge it. If it tells you that you've messed up as a parent or that something's your fault, take a moment to separate out the facts of what's happened, the facts of the situation, and offer yourself a more compassionate thought. You know, can you believe you're a good, caring mother, even if your child is quieter than other children? Can you believe you're a good, caring mother, even if your child does something that you really don't like or that others have negative thoughts about? Can you believe you're a good, caring mother whose child swore at a teacher, for example? You didn't say that that happened. I'm just making up an example. But my point is that you get to believe those things about yourself through all the struggles your child faces. And she will 100% face struggles because every child does. She will have difficulties to overcome, challenges to face, and she'll make big mistakes in her life simply because she's a messy, imperfect human. And I'm going to offer you a few thoughts to try on. So try them on and see how they feel. I am the perfect mother for this child because I'm the one that she has. My child is going to be a flawed, imperfect human, and that's exactly how she's supposed to be. I am an imperfect, loving mother doing her best, and that is more than enough. No matter what happens, I can choose to be kind and compassionate to myself. So play around with those thoughts, see if they feel good to you, change them and edit them if they don't, and try and find ones that feel good for your brain. Okay, question four. I'm 51 and I've been in a situationship for the past eight months with a man who left a 20-year marriage two years ago. He has two kids, 19 and 17, with whom he has great relationships. Initially, he appeared reasonably secure and says he likes me and cares about me, but I've realized he's quite avoiding and it's been triggering my anxious attachment stuff. As he's so honest and gentle, it's been a good opportunity for me to work through a lot of my stuff, like not always making things mean something negative about me. My question is, how do I tell the difference between making the most of a circumstance to grow as a person versus tolerating less than ideal situations? I feel like I want to know him or have him in my life, and this is not only better than nothing, but actively healing in some ways. But lots of advice I see is about deserving more, and sometimes I don't trust my own judgments. Okay, this is a really great question. So this is going to require you, listener, to really reflect on your own wants and desires for a relationship and your current reasons for choosing to date this guy. And him and what he's available to offer you is actually a totally neutral circumstance. And what I mean by that is it isn't good or bad or right or wrong. It just is. It exists. He exists. And someone else could think it's perfect and just what they're looking for out of a relationship. For someone else, it could not quite be a match and they're wanting more time together or more affection from the person. And when we see things on Instagram about deserving more and how relationships should look, it's often a very black and white approach that doesn't consider how we're all different and we all want different things from our relationships. Some people are in amazing relationships but choose not to live together. Some people see each other every day, others see each other once a week. There isn't one right way to do a relationship. So getting curious about what kind of relationship you'd personally love to have here is really important, not the kind that you think you should be having. So get really honest with yourself about what it is you're looking for out of a relationship and then consider, is this person a match for that? 
If you're wanting more face-to-face time or someone who can do certain activities with, consider, is this person able to do these things? Have I asked if they'd like to do these things? And if they're not able to do these things, what are my thoughts about that? And is it a deal breaker for me? And your reasons will really be your indicator here. Because there's a difference between choosing to stay with someone who isn't available to see you as much as you'd like because it's actually not that big of a deal to you versus staying because you don't believe there's someone else out there for you. And so you need to cling on to this person and stay with them and settle for something that isn't actually what you want. See how those are two very different reasons. So just pay attention to your reasons. And either way, just know that growth is available to you. Growth is just you owning your emotions and challenging your own insecure thoughts and beliefs. So you could choose to do that and stay or choose to do that and leave. Okay, question five. She says, my question is, how do you know if an action you've observed by your partner warrants further investigation? An example is, my boyfriend has been stressed with work this week and I started observing his behavior as kind of strange. He takes his phone into the washroom, as he always has, but he took it into the shower with him. I chalked it up to being the fact that he's just got a new phone. Then my next observation was that my brain perceived him to be tilting the screen away from me when he was using it. This could be just the way he was sitting on the couch, but my brain is making up these stories even when there could be reasonable, innocent explanations for it. I'm conflicted because he will also keep it face up on the table, not hiding the notifications. I don't want to check his phone. That used to be my default in previous relationships, but I listen to your podcast and don't want to show up in this way. My question is, when you observe something that could be seen as red flag behavior, how do you go about it? I almost don't want to confront him because there are no facts that he's doing anything wrong. I'm just observing that his behavior is different, but it could be that my brain is making up that his behavior is being different. Okay, great question. So this is where getting clear on the facts of a situation is so, so important. Because like you said, our brains will always make up stories and our brains will always try to interpret the facts through the lens of our own fears and negative beliefs. So separating the facts first, which you've done, partner on phone positioned away from me, that's the first step. Then challenging what you're making that mean and looking at what else it could mean. What else could it mean other than the worst case scenario that your brain has jumped to? What might be going on in his brain when he does that? Is he just comfy in a certain position? Could he be planning a surprise for you? Just get really curious. You said right now from starting to do this that you can see other perfectly reasonable explanations. For example, you said when he's taking his phone to the washroom, you said he's always done that and he's also just got a new phone. But your brain is going to, of course, still want to jump to the worst case scenario because it's always trying to protect you from future negative emotion. It's like a little person stood at the top of a lighthouse, scanning the horizon for danger, constantly looking out for it. And I think we often feel a sense of urgency in these situations, like we're supposed to be able to know exactly what's going to happen and see things coming, see the bad things happening before they happen. So our brains are on red alert and looking for signs all of the time. But all that leads to is us feeling anxious and hypervigilant and ruining our experience in the relationship right now. It doesn't actually protect us from any pain if or when it does happen. We've just suffered for months ahead of time, just in case. So there's three key steps here that I want you to work on. The first is focusing on the facts and challenging your assumption about what they mean. Is that really the only explanation? And what evidence is there that that might not actually be true? What else could be true? Doing this first will help you determine if the situation does warrant further investigation, as you put it. So you can then consider, do I need more information? 
If the facts are that his behaviour has changed and you're unsure why, ask yourself, how do I want to show up to find out more? And I always advise my clients to approach these situations with curiosity rather than jumping to accusations and blaming. Get curious, ask your partner, explain to them what you're noticing and ask them what's going on for them, genuinely wanting to understand and coming from a place of genuine curiosity instead of assuming the worst about them. And step one should have helped you to see that your knee-jerk assumption wasn't the only available explanation. So that will help you get into curiosity mode with them and ask them more about what it is that you're noticing. And finally, the third and most important step is you have to work on reassuring your brain that you can handle any situation that comes your way. Because if you do step one and you come to the conclusion that there isn't actually any significant change that you want to ask more questions about, that there are perfectly reasonable explanations for why they could be behaving in that way, your brain is still going to want to jump to its anxious story. Your brain is still going to say to you, yeah, but what if? What if I am right? What if he is messaging someone else? And that question will never be satisfied, not even by checking his phone, because hey, he could have deleted the messages. (laughs) So the only way to satisfy that question is to reassure your brain that if actual evidence of wrongdoing ever does come to light as a circumstance in your model, that you will then be able to handle it. So just like I said to the other listener, get curious. What is it you're most afraid of if something ever does come to light about his behavior that you don't like, that he cheated on you maybe or lied about something? What part of you believes that you wouldn't be able to handle that? What is your brain most afraid it would mean about you if it did happen? What thoughts and feelings are you most afraid to experience? Really writing those down and getting clear on them and then challenging them and coaching your brain through them is how you can start to let go of trying to predict what happens and read into every micro action that your partner takes because you'll trust yourself to be okay no matter what happens. And I think a big part of this is learning to be comfortable in uncertainty and in the discomfort of not knowing what the future holds. So when you get these anxious thoughts and you feel this anxious sensation in your body, it's your brain wanting to be certain of what's going to happen in the future. And you want to be able to sit in those sensations, allow yourself to really feel them, notice how they feel in your body, make space for them. Make peace with the fact that they're there and be willing to feel that anxiety. And there's a whole episode on how to handle your anxiety. I think it's episode four. I might have got that wrong, Um, but definitely go and check that out. It's all about how to process your emotion because the better you can get at sitting in that discomfort of uncertainty, the better you're going to be at sitting back and allowing your partner to make their own decisions and trusting yourself to handle whatever happens. And some thoughts that I would love to offer you and anyone else that really relates to this situation is I can only respond to the facts of a situation as and when they're revealed to me. Right now, there is nothing for me to respond to and I trust myself to handle any situation that does arise. No matter what happens, I get to choose what I make it mean about me and my future. Again, play with these thoughts and find ones that do feel good and reassuring for you and your unique brain. Okay guys, that is all I've got for you today and I hope it was useful. The next round of my group coaching program is in May so I will put the link for the waitlist in the information section of this episode. You definitely want to go and get on that so that you don't miss any of the details when they're announced. 
And if you're loving this podcast, please, could you do a little something for me? Could you give it a rating on whatever platform it is that you're listening from? That would mean the absolute world to me. And it will mean that I can keep reaching more and more people with this work. I hope you all have lovely weekends and I will speak to you all next week. Bye. If you're loving this podcast, you can also hang out with Rebecca on Instagram and TikTok at Rebecca or Coaching. Don't forget to sign up to her email list for exclusive freebies and for more information on her one-to-one and group coaching programs. 